whether you eat or drink. Whatever you do. 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 Or whatever you do. Do all to the glory of God. Welcome to Whatever You Do. I'm Danny. And I'm Abby. We're just best friends trying to figure out how to bring glory to God in whatever you do. Hi, here we are again. We're kind of being quiet tonight because we're recording in the room. In the Lego room. In the Lego room, which is right next door to the room that the Larsons moved out of, but right now currently... My daughter is sleeping in with one of her friends, so they're not asleep yet, but we don't want to keep them them awake. So we're kind of being quiet, so sorry if this is... I don't think anyone's going to think we're being quiet, actually. I don't know. I feel like we're being... A, we're, we're trying to sit closer to the mic so that it hopefully doesn't come across as being quieter too much, but... I'm, we're definitely being quieter than we normally are. Okay. You might not feel like that because you want to be asleep. So any <laughs> yes. amount of volume doesn't that feel is, quiet. That is true. But we're being quiet. We're usually pretty noisy. So Danny's in her second wind of the night. It's 11 hit, o'clock on Friday night. Yes, I hit a, I hit a second burst of energy. This is never this when I hit a second burst of energy at all. This is usually when my second wind comes, and if I hit it, hit this point, then it's hard to go to bed at a reasonable hour. Yeah. It doesn't help that your husband usually works late, and so you kind yeah. of have a reason to, like, stay up. But Right. I But I'll, there's been a lot of times lately where I fall asleep when the kids, around the, when the kids go to bed or around, like, 9, and then I wake Get up at, like, cat nap. 11, and think oh no i need to make the house look a little bit more presentable before chip gets home and then i tim probably hit his second win which is why he was encouraging us to go record so he could hang out by himself (laughs) right after watching all of our kids tonight yep anyway i talked to abby into it she's real excited right now Mm -hmm. You might, almost be hearing, backed out. might be hearing more from me than you do from her, but she's she's agreed to try to be a willing participant in Just the conversation. Just for you, Beth. For Beth. This is all for Beth. And Crystal. And are they the only people? The who other listen? 58 people who hear this. I'm sure there's others. Yep. Chip listens. So, hi, babe. Yeah. Um... So we know that, I think this has been kind of like a reoccurring theme. This is like maybe the third time it's coming around again, where Abby and I like started this podcast and told you all why that we really wanted to talk about birth things in our culture and the difficult ways of talking about controversial We've spent a lot of time talking birth. about why it's hard to talk about these things and then just not talking about we, them. We do a, an episode about why it's hard to talk about it and you get prepared and then we spend like five episodes talking about our week and probably and nothing anyone cares about. to avoid controversial issues because yes. it feels easier to just talk about our weeks. Mm-hmm. So we're back around to that... 
Not because we want to be. Nagging little <laughs> conviction, if you want to call it that. I don't really even know if that's the right word, but a feeling like... Why are we, are we doing this? do this because of why we thought we were going to do it or not? Mm-hmm. And as always, God uses different things, I think, along the way to prod us into feeling strongly about this stuff again. But... Mm-hmm. I think that where it brought brings us to for tonight and what we're what we're wanting to talk about for a little bit is um, the idea of I, I I don't even think Abby knows what I'm gonna I don't we've, we've I keep talked, looking at you like we've talked about what we're talking about but how I'm gonna bring this up and approach it. Um, basically, as, this is going to be a curveball Abby's not expecting because it's okay. not exactly how we've thought about any of this. But I think the reoccurring theme for me in the last, what, what it, the basics come down to in our culture is that it's pretty well established that statistically speaking 90 something percent of women are going to go the route of medical care for their pregnancy and birth typical ob hospital medical care there's then a small percentage that do home uh birth center births mm-hmm. that are with midwives who are kind of more medical minded but and but a lot of them will do birth center births or home births some of them will even do hospital births or mm-hmm. birth center or there's kind of like this small group of midwives that are in between in between and then there's home birth midwives and even some home birth midwives who are more medically minded and then some who aren't yeah um, and when I say that there are home birth midwives who aren't medically minded, I'm not saying that they aren't trained in being able to understand how the body works and they aren't trained mm-hmm. in how to assess for complications and problems. I'm saying that the overall model of care that they're right. going to follow isn't the one that has been produced by obstetricians. And textbooks. Yes. They're still going to utilize a lot of the same tools and a lot of the same data, but they might come to different conclusions and it's going to be much more individualized by the patient, not by just like protocols and book says or what the rules say. Yes. It's going to be more holistically approached. Right. So we can acknowledge that a large majority of women are just walking into the process under the medical model of care. Right. I think what it boils down to for me and what we see a huge lack in is true informed consent. Correct. And women taking responsibility. Yes. But women can't even take adequate responsibility even when they want to if they're not receiving true informed consent 
Well, I mean, they can... They can, take, go, uh, they can take their own responsibility and then go outside of their OBGYN and get their own research. And Right. But what I'm saying is if you just trust that you're getting informed consent because you're being told you're getting informed sure. consent, but you're not actually getting. Yes. But I do feel if, like it starts with who you're who's carrying the weight of the responsibility. Right. And I do think in our culture, we're very quick to pass that weight off to the quote-unquote professionals. I agree. But sometimes I think in the majority of cases, at least that I observe and that I felt like as a first-time mom, Mm -hmm. I didn't understand. I, I didn't feel like I necessarily was walking into it saying... I don't want to take any responsibility. I want somebody else to make all my decisions. Yes. I walked into it thinking I was making my own decisions. With my, yeah. And really wanting to make my own. I wanted to be responsible. I wanted to think I was choosing things. I wanted to. I, I wasn't trying to just say this isn't my. I think I think that's the, the problem is that a lot of the information women are getting they're trusting is the total story is mm-hmm. all the information they're un- they're they're accepting that if this is something i needed to know more about i would be being told more about it mm-hmm. but i think the more i've the the more times i gave birth in that medical model of care and the more times i see it play out mm-hmm the more I'm convinced that doctors typically don't offer more information than what they kind of come to a conclusion of what they think is is a reasonable thing to do. Maybe not thinking through all of the ramifications of what that means mm-hmm. for the mom or baby, but what is going to... We were we were talking about it a little bit tonight. You can have this statistic of a complication, really, statistically speaking, having a bad outcome very few amounts of time, mm-hmm. like less than 1% of the time this is actually going to cause an actual problem. Right. But unfortunately, when... A doctor is taking care of 100 patients, and one of those 100 patients that has this statistic being thrown at them is going to have the complication progress. Mm -hmm. And there is something that you could potentially do to prevent it. Maybe. Maybe. Right. The doctor is still somewhat forced into a position... Even I will I'll even say that they're they they might not even fully agree with it or think it's the best. Mm-hmm. They might be able to acknowledge this isn't the best, but because of how the whole system is set up and not truly giving informed consent and then relying on the parent to make the decision and mm-hmm. the parent to carry the weight of their responsibility. That's just not how the system is created. Right. Doctors carry most of the weight of the responsibility, so they, and they're the ones that could potentially be sued if something right. doesn't go perfectly. Right. And 
if they haven't exhausted all of the potential options of potential preventative care and things. Mm -hmm. The problem is that those preventative care measures do carry risks and problems with them. And they introduce other things into the mix, too. A lot of times it's usually not just like a one individualized decision but it can create a snowball effect with a lot of other decisions. So this is feeling really vague because we're not giving actual examples of what we're talking about. Um, But ultimately it comes down to that. Uh, It comes down to women not taking full responsibility for the decisions, even if they think that they want to and are because they're not, truly being given all the information and not realizing even I think I think one of our biggest goals in wanting to talk about these things and bring them up is even wanting to get women asking questions Mm -hmm. and wanting to understand this process wanting to understand is what they're telling me is the best is it really the best and is it the best from all angles and what what risks am I taking versus what benefits am I getting from this? And understanding that sometimes doctors have to put you in this big giant group of people that you know because you know your you know your circumstances, you know your past, you know all these different things about how your body works and mm-hmm. functions that you know the risk isn't as high as what they have to treat the risk right. for you. But they still have to do that because they don't know these things. They don't have the time to spend with you. They don't have the background with you. Mm-hmm. And they just have to look at some numbers that they've been given five minutes ago and make a right. judgment call based mm-hmm. on that. And I'm not saying you, that there aren't doctors who try to get to know their patients more than that. But the reality is the workload and the patient load of most doctors and to keep things functioning mm-hmm. in the way that it's been set up, it, it's just not possible for a doctor to have... Especially in OBGYN, like right. as opposed to other doctors who have a more typical schedule. OBGYNs have on-call life and have a lot of hours that they're putting into... Well, and I think one thing that a lot of people don't recognize is that... A majority of OBGYNs, you you think of them from the obstetric side if you are a patient who is having a baby, but a lot of them have a lot of gynecological cases Mm -hmm. where they're doing surgeries and taking care of women with very different problems Mm -hmm. than obstetrics as well. So not only do they have the on-call schedule for labor and delivery, Mm -hmm. but they also have scheduled in cases for other surgeries and things that can't just all come to a halt so that they can spend 12 hours with a laboring mom. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. why a doctor comes in to do the delivery. And Mm -hmm. um, there's just so many aspects of that that unintentionally get convoluted not because doctors are these evil terrible people but because or not because they don't care even right but because of the system in which they have like the parameters in which they Mm -hmm. have to work through things and so i think though it's easy to be naive to a lot of these things and to 
want to trust and and believe in the best and believe that there is a reasonable and good way. So I think I think a lot of people I think going back to the basics of if you really look at if you just start with where God created a woman's body to give birth. Mm-hmm. He has designed this whole system of hormones to work together and cause your body to have contractions mm-hmm. and dilate and the baby to be born. Can there be complications within that? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We acknowledge that all the time that we live in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. Things don't always happen perfectly. The problem, though, is that... Where are we starting from? Are we starting from looking at birth like... This is normal and should work, and there might be a problem we watch for. Right. Or are we viewing pregnancy and birth as a medical condition that needs to be feared and managed and prevented and... Right. Um, so how blatantly obvious do we be Um, (laughs) I'm still like tracking along with the direction you're going in this I know I still feel like I'm kind of trying to figure that out as well to be blatantly obvious (laughs) to some people um, some people will know what we're talking about and others won't, and that's okay. But there is a post on Facebook being shared um, that is talking about some different things in birth. It's not exclusively talking about birth. It's really talking about mothering. Mm-hmm. But it does give one example, I think, about birth. Maybe yeah. two. Um, about whether or not women get a trophy for... Basically, the the author's post was that her husband told her, you don't get a trophy. When There's she no was, trophy. When she was trying to decide whether she should get an epidural, when she was very close to the point of actually giving mm-hmm. birth and delivering, and how freeing that was for her, and how freeing that was in other aspects of mothering, that there's no trophy. Mm-hmm. And... Overall, I agree with that sentiment. I agree with the idea that this isn't about proving something or winning some prize or whatever the case may be. My uh, this goes directly though to the heart of of what conversations we feel are lacking Mm -hmm. and of what we wanted to be able to talk about as Christian women in a way that isn't caught up in emotions and in a way that is able to be really thought of through the lens of um, putting down our own pridefulness and, and looking at it with humility and with the best of intentions Mm -hmm. for others and while 
I agree that there isn't a trophy for some of these things. It almost can drive the conversation into a place of that if you talk about any benefits to any of these decisions, that if someone has made a decision that isn't that. So if we could talk about what all the benefits are of not getting an epidural. Then we're shaming anyone who's ever gotten an epidural. Right. Or we're saying that that's a bad thing to do, a wrong thing to do, that you're less than if you choose an epidural. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is that then, you know, it's easy to say, well, if you were educated and you decided it was best for you, then you need to not feel shame over that. But I think our concern is that in our experience and what we see many other women experiencing is that there's not actually, even when you feel like you're educated on an issue, depending on where you've received that education, it may be very biased, very one-sided, and and not you may not actually be as educated about things as you think you are. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's hard to give informed consent, and it's hard to know what decisions you're making if you're not getting all of the information. It's also, uh, I know that for myself, if I went into my birth not wanting an epidural, you would hope that there's actual reasons why you don't want to get an epidural. Right. Not that it's just you want a trophy at the end and that the hope is not that your goal is just to feel strong and empowered and like a superwoman. Like that hopefully isn't your goal going into like saying you don't want to have an epidural. And if that is your goal then maybe being reminded that there isn't a trophy is exactly what you need because Mm -hmm. you're viewing it as that there's a trophy and that you're going to not be able to have these bragging rights or something. Right. But I think the problem is that it minimizes if there are true reasons that you have... You believe that the epidural isn't necessarily the first and best thing to get. Having someone tell you there's no trophy for this is the exact opposite of what you really need in that moment Mm -hmm. of being reminded, why am I willing to do this? Why am I willing to endure this pain and and cope in these other ways? I, I think... So... Again, if you haven't listened to any of our backstories, I have had my first three births were epidural. I had epidurals and I had them very willingly and mm-hmm. was I, that it was exactly what I wanted. And all of those births and the well, I can't say all of them. The first two times that I had epidurals my mindset very much was I, I didn't look into what any of the downsides might be. 
I trusted the anesthesiologist Mm -hmm. who is the person who gets paid to do this, to give you an epidural. Right. Who said, there's no downsides to this. I do them all the time. Everything is fine. Sure, there's always risks, but they're really minimal and, I mean, it never really happens. Is essentially the overall message that I was given. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you are really stupid to worry about it. Like, yes, we have to tell you that sometimes bad things happen, but it's really not that big of a deal and not something you really need to worry about because it's not going to happen to you was mm-hmm. kind of the takeaway I got from it. Right. This was like an actual epidural class through the hospital for people wondering about epidurals. Mm-hmm. Um. I didn't feel like they laid it out and said for X amount of women, even if it was a small percentage, spinal headaches happen. And here are the things you need to think about if that happens. When you get a spinal headache, it usually requires you to lie flat on your back or you're incapacitated and you can't, you really can't get up and take care of your baby or your family Mm -hmm. until that heals. We can try to do a blood patch for it. And that might help or it might not. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can take up to three weeks to heal. That wasn't part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. The the part about spinal headaches was like a really small percentage of people might get that. But probably not. You'll probably Mm -hmm. be fine. And so that minimizes. This is someone who is the professional Mm -hmm. giving you the risks and benefits, who's telling you the benefits are massive and amazing and wonderful and are always so great. And the risks happen, but you don't really need to worry about them. Right. And that's great. I agree that it might be a small percentage and um, it might be a majority of people who do experience relief with no negative outcome. But for the mom who didn't really realize what a spinal headache entailed, even though she Mm -hmm. was told about it. Briefly. Who now is experiencing one Mm -hmm. postpartum, and she's the one laying at home with four little kids and a newborn baby, and her husband can't take any more time off of work, and she's dealing with debilitating headaches that she can't even get up and function. That's a real decision that you would hope she would have had the opportunity to really understand and think through and decide, mm-hmm. is this is this relief from the pain something I need so much that I'm willing to risk this potential complication? And I do feel like there's just a level in general of fear surrounding the pain in childbirth that we don't understand or comprehend why or what's happening with our bodies and so when we don't understand what's happening and why there is pain and what the pain is doing and what is happening with our bodies and what we can do to cope with that pain the fear of having to even experience a little bit of that can feel like it blocks out any other any other reasons why someone would give for not getting an epidural like because we're not talking about like educating on what's happening in our body, being able to understand that more, understand the process more, and be able to understand different coping mechanisms. It's just, why would you ever want to get go through pain? Well, you can avoid it by doing this. And not only that, but when you're in the hospital setting, unfortunately, unless you've kind of acquired your own 
team of people to be helping you through that pain yeah. and coping with it, just the setting in and of itself works against how your body was designed to cope with the pain. Yeah. So things like lights being bright versus lights being dim. Sounds, I feel like sounds really stupid to like, if you're not understanding the like physiological and the hormone that need to play into it. But it sounds just like a personal preference. Like, well, I like lights on and like I, it doesn't, lights don't bother me. Like, that's, right. It, like you don't ever, I don't even notice them when they're on. It's not, it's fine. But the reality is that our bodies were created to want the, the production of melatonin, which is something that typically happens when you're sleeping, when mm-hmm. you're in a quiet, dark place. Mm-hmm directly plays into the production of um, oxytocin during labor. And oxytocin directly, as your levels of oxytocin go up and as the contractions intensify and as that intensity builds, you have other... I'm blanking on the word of like what I'm thinking right now. Not pheromones, but like endorphins. Other endorphins that are going to be released that your body naturally regulates some of. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that it makes it not painful, but your body really does work together. Not only your body, but works together with the baby's body and the baby's mm-hmm. hormones that the baby's really seen to kind of be able to gauge like how well are these things being tolerated Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't say it always feels like that because sometimes you can have contractions that are coming right on top of each other nonstop and you feel like I can't do this again for another minute Mm -hmm. so it doesn't always feel like your body is regulating and knowing how to do things but at the same time those are things that your body is using to work to bring the Mm -hmm. baby to like be born right and when we turn on lights and we have those types of things which are necessary in a hospital setting because they need to be able to see x y and z and i know many women have gone into the hospital and had lights be dimmed and there are a lot of hospitals that understand that but it's even within that context it's like lights are dimmed until a doctor or a nurse needs a light on to see something that Mm -hmm. they want to see. And then it isn't asked of the woman, would you mind if we turn this light on for a minute? Or even really told, like, we're going to just turn this on for a second. It, It very much is, if it's convenient for the ones who are... Right. ...providing all these services to keep your birth safe, then that goes. But the problem is... A lot of times there's other ways to be functioning to help keep a birth safe mm-hmm. that don't necessarily have to be so invasive or just at the convenience of right. the doctor or the nurse or whatever. But they're running a kind of a tight ship and it's like, this is what has to happen right now and mm-hmm. this is what we're doing right now. And um. There's so many little tiny things that you don't even 
think of. I, I think going into my first birth, it was like you really feel the need to be compliant to whatever the pro- provider says to do or you just are in a position where you trust their judgment and Mm -hmm. you're not in a position to ask a lot of questions when you're in labor. Right. So even if you have thought through a lot of these things and you, you have the questions in your mind and you think you're going to be able to be somewhat like you have educated yourself outside of what they're just telling you and you Mm -hmm. know other questions to ask to try to make sure that you feel like something's really necessary in the moment that's really difficult to do Mm -hmm. when you're dealing with contractions every five minutes your your mind goes to a place where you're not supposed to be processing logical data anymore you're Mm -hmm. supposed to be kind of surrendering to the process and not really in a rational state necessarily. Right. So I think we would hope that women can start having conversations where we can talk about things like epidurals or C-sections or induction or Pitocin or all of these different things and it not be we're trying to dissuade you from contemplating using these things because we think you are that you sh- no one should ever need these things or use these things no. or get a They're prize definitely for tools not having them that can be great we can be thankful for that these tools exist and that people can utilize at times i think i think the question boils down a lot in a lot of ways to why does any of this matter and does it why should we be questioning anything why should we this is like such a short part of our motherhood experience and so why does why does it matter and why do we want to do it in any way right. other than line like up 20 15 year olds and you can't pick out which one was born by c-section which one which one's moms had epidurals like it, right it doesn't appear to be this it's not like and if there is medical advances to allow a woman to just get a c-section and happen bypass any discomforts of labor and anything like that and it's just easier on the doctor it's easier to get people in and out it's easier to control and manage like why wouldn't we just do that for everyone right and i think that it's got multiple answers to it multiple aspects to it i think there are some aspects to it which there there truly are negative aspects that we're told don't really exist that we're finding really do exist and do have consequences long term that maybe you can't see with your eyes right and maybe you can't pick them out of the crowd but when we start to look at even things like 
the gut microbiome is like something that I feel like is becoming a much more talked about and recognized thing, even within the medical community. And when you start to understand the fact that that initial seeding of your gut bacteria, a large majority of that good bacteria comes from when you pass through your mother's vaginal canal and gets into your system. And if you have a C-section, you bypass that and... So does that mean a mother who had a cord prolapse and went back and had an emergency C-section should feel guilt and shame over the fact that her child doesn't have the gut biome? No, it doesn't. But that's because we're weighing benefits and risks. Mm -hmm. And And we're still acknowledging that there is a fall, that things that we can be thankful for medical advances and that things don't always go perfectly in that. that. But we can still say, well, would it? Would it have been great and nice and wonderful for that baby to have gotten that bacteria from their mother mm-hmm. by going through the vaginal canal? Like, we can still say that that would have been a good thing. We, I think one of the problems when we when we act like all of these things are neutral is that then so many moms are turning to feeling guilt and shame when what I really think the true emotion should be is that we can we can grieve and be sad over loss in this world and over sin in this world but we can also take heart and and have hope in knowing that Christ has redeemed things mm-hmm. and that we aren't we our guilt aren't. and shame doesn't shouldn't be coming from our not getting a trophy, but it is different than feeling sadness over not having the birth that God originally designed because of sin. Right. Those are two different or, concepts. Right. Well, and not even saying because of sin in the sense, obviously, we're not saying sin in the sense of like, yes, thanks for clarifying. Like that a woman's sin, no, and that's why but she because had a cord sin has, or something like no, that. No, but because sin has entered the world and we live in a fallen world and our bodies are broken and things happen all the time medically and people get sick and things, our bodies don't work like they were originally designed to work. That is true. But we can still grieve that. We can still be sad if someone gets cancer or if some something happens medically with somebody we can still be sad and be grieved over that well and i think the other the other thing to really point out is that we need to be very careful as a culture and i don't think we have been to understand that there are different ways and different options to approach some of these things mm-hmm. when there are complications and that's okay but a lot of times the culture kind of, the overall majority decides a right way, a wise way, mm-hmm. the best way, and it gets to the point where it almost seems like then if someone wants to choose a different way that's not the standard and the norm mm-hmm. and the mainstream, now they're being unwise or irresponsible. That's not always the case. And so, I mean, your example of cancer, we know that chemotherapy and radiation works to help eradicate cancer. We also know there are times that people undergo chemotherapy and radiation and it doesn't work 
and they still, Mm -hmm. the cancer still wins. But we also know that there are, there are methods of different diets and different experimental treatments and Mm -hmm. different, more natural ways of treating things that have worked for people. Right. But there's a huge push for if you want to do one of those things. You're irresponsible. Right. And that you, for some reason, aren't thinking rationally through this when Mm -hmm. you're just weighing the benefits and risks differently. And Mm -hmm. there are... There are disadvantages of chemotherapy and radiation. There are things that come with that Mm -hmm. that do carry very real aspects of disadvantage for people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's like a different medical thing, medical perspective that we can... But then you look at those things with birth and... It's like the idea of someone having a high blood pressure reading that's on the edge. It's higher than their normal. It's higher than doctors would like to see. But it's not really at a place of causing any problems. It's not even really causing any symptoms. The only reason we know that the blood pressure reading is high is because we routinely decided to take blood pressure. Mm-hmm. And so you can see both sides of it. There's the side that says, well, we don't want this to get worse. We don't want it to get out of hand. One in X amount of women, their blood pressure is going to continue to go up and get get out of control. And it's going to become a very serious and, and dire... Lead, lead to seizures and she's going to die. Right. That could happen Mm -hmm. the problem is we don't know when we look at all the women who are having this borderline high blood pressure reading which woman is gonna have that happen Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of circumstances that play into that so from the medical approach what they pretty much have to do is say well we're gonna do this intervention then to try Mm -hmm. to prevent it And I think the thing that can be scary is that those interventions and that control can, you know, is it, well, we're going to induce at 39 weeks or we're going to induce at 37 weeks or we're going to induce or we're going to do a C-section. And a lot of those calls can be really arbitrary Mm -hmm. and it's just whatever the doctor feels the most comfortable with doing. Right. A doctor who feels, who kind of likes doing surgeries and feels really confident in their C-section skills and has no real concept for why any person would ever want more than one or two kids anyway and doesn't see those things as even an option mm-hmm. for people. I mean, they might be much more quick to suggest well, I think that to be on the safe side, like your blood pressure, we, we've seen it, that it's gone up a little bit. And so it would probably be the best for you and the baby to just schedule your C-section for 39 weeks and, you know, we'll monitor you till then, but or 38 weeks or whatever the case may be. Right. 
where another doctor might look at the same exact situation who doesn't feel like a C-section is really necessary and does understand the risk that that puts on the woman for future pregnancies and births. And it's like, well, yes, there's a risk involved, but we'll keep monitoring you to this extent. It, there's right. There's so many different ways that can go. And so if you're just at the mercy of you don't even understand the numbers, you're not even half the time. I don't even feel like you're told the numbers. Right. There were so many appointments that I went to that I would have my blood pressure taken and then I would say, what was it? And they'd say, it was good. It was fine. And it's like, no, that's not what I'm asking for. What was my blood pressure? Like, Mm -hmm. I want to know. And they just assume, well, you're not going to know what these things mean anyway. Right. And the problem, another problem with that is, we've talked about this, when, so my blood pressure during pregnancy, I think my last several readings have been, what was the last one, like 96 over 58 or something like Mm -hmm. that. Like, sometimes it's in the low hundreds over but it's usually over something in the 60s. Right. Um, and it's usually typically not over 110 for the top number. So anywhere from like 90 over 60 to 110 over 70, I would mm-hmm. say, are really normal numbers for me. So if I have a reading that's 125 over 80... That's going to kind of be concerning to me. That's going to be something that I'm going to want to watch. Where in the textbook, Mm -hmm. that number is not concerning at all. Right. It doesn't even raise a red flag because it's within like... The normal range. The normal range. And that's where there's concern for some of these things. So what about the woman who her blood pressure for the last 10 years of her life has been 140 over... 85. Right. And now, because of pregnancy and the added blood volume expansion and and those types of things, it's crept up by 5 or 10 points. But it's not really that big of a difference for her body. It's not continuing to creep up. She's not having any other symptoms with it. But now that's thrown those numbers just out of the normal range. It's like, when when are we allowed to ask the questions, well, who even came up with those normal ranges? What are the actual risks of my blood pressure being mm-hmm. this when it's been this for all these years right. and this is my normal? I mean, there are, there are women who have chronic high blood pressure that's, that's quite high that don't have any symptoms from it and are doing okay and then as soon as they get pregnant though now it's this big problem because it's outside of that range Mm -hmm. of numbers and so that's just one area I think though ultimately our point in this whole thing is no there's not a trophy but are there advantages and disadvantages yes and have we uh, I guess just the encouragement to not just take things especially from the medical community at face value and the only reason we're picking on the medical community in this conversation is because it's the majority and it's what the majority of women experience Mm -hmm. i would equally 100 percent hands down say 
don't just trust what the natural birth community says about these things. Very much, yes. I feel like in some ways there can be misinformation spread and things spread by hearsay and things that aren't scientifically backed up and mm-hmm. aren't don't have a lot of validity to them right that can be very dangerous and should be the questions should be asked i would say don't just go to a midwife who hands you some bottles of herbs and says here start taking one of these every day when you turn 36 weeks Mm -hmm. and not look into like well what is this that i'm taking what is the point of it why Mm -hmm. am i doing this that's equally or more dangerous and frightening yes I, i mean so we're not advocating, well, this side is flawless and has no problems, and it's this side over here that we think has all these problems. It's more the fact that we both started out in the very mainstream mm-hmm. model of care, and you do see more often people that are outside of that model of care are outside of it for a reason. Mm-hmm. They've had some experiences some some reason that they've decided that they're and it's typically not because they wanted to earn a trophy right it's typically for some other reason than that and it's just as important and just as vital that you don't step outside the mainstream model and go to the other model of natural birth or home birth or whatever the case may be and stay in a position of just doing whatever you're told. Right. It's very much about making sure you're understanding the decisions that you're making and why you're making them to the best that you mm-hmm. best of your ability. Making sure you choose someone that you do trust and who you do feel like is going to be honest and make good decisions for you and your baby at the times that you aren't the one calling all the shots. Like right. You want to have a relationship where you can trust someone and trust them for more reasons than, well, they don't want me to sue them at the end of this. Like, right. Um, and I do think it is easy, not that we'll get into this now, but it is easy, I think, in common for a lot of people to shift from the mainstream model of care to like the opposite end of the spectrum, which is just as dangerous and ultimately idolizing the wrong thing right and like we've talked about this a little bit before in earlier like very early episodes right. about about it coming down to idolizing methods idolizing birth in certain ways idolizing control mm-hmm. um, idolizing predictability and um, being fearful and yeah ultimately having fear as a huge foundation of that either fear of the process and then running to a doctor to like protect you from that or the other end of the spectrum is fear of the doctors doctors and fear of medical care which shouldn't shouldn't in and of itself be demonized or Or a problem mm -hmm. there are many times where it's very reasonable very wise, very practical to go to a doctor, to go to a hospital, to get help, to mm-hmm. have some of these interventions we've talked about. But just jumping to them as the first 
line of defense really... And, and not acknowledging or understanding or even just ignoring the risks and implications of doing that. Right. Right. Um, right, and it falls into all those categories where sometimes we're blatantly ignoring it mm-hmm. and we know the risks and we don't care. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we think we know that there aren't really risks, but we haven't actually looked into that for ourselves. So it's it's just... We should want to know these things. We should we should want to take responsibility of our actions and our choices and our um, really our bodies. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is glorifying to God when we understand what we're allowing people to give to us, put into our bodies, mm-hmm. do to our bodies, all of those things. Um, and it doesn't mean that you never consent to those things or never do those things. It's right. that you really truly understand what you're consenting to and why you're consenting to it. And you have reasons that, I, I guess, ultimately, if you have reasons behind why you're deciding to do those things that you feel confident in and you feel that you can stand before God in those reasons. There should be no shame. Then when someone else, even if someone wants to shame you, even if someone's trying to make you feel bad about it, you can confidently say, I chose this for a reason and I I feel fine with that. Mm -hmm. I think that it's very easy to feel shame when we may be recognizing that either we didn't do something for a reason we're proud of or mm-hmm. we didn't fully understand what we were consenting to and it wasn't right. what we really agree with now but it can be easy to then want to run to defending it and mm-hmm. not go to those places of being able to acknowledge that we made a choice that we kind of wish we wouldn't have or mm-hmm. we wouldn't want to make again if we don't aren't put in that position or whatever the case may be. And we understand that these types of conversations are very emotionally driven, very hard to have and discuss in that different people are coming from totally different places. Just to be completely and, honest and vulnerable, as I sit here and say these things, I have like multiple things of my own births that pop into my head of of things that I very willingly consented to or even begged for that I don't agree with now mm-hmm. as a first line of what uh, for the reasons in which I chose them at the time right um that I would not choose for those reasons again it's not to say that I wouldn't choose to do those things again I'm not I'm not going to say that I'll never have another epidural. I'm mm-hmm. not going to say I'll never have a Pitocin-induced birth. I'm not going to say I'll never have a C-section. I'm not saying that I won't ever utilize these things because there's no way to predict that, and there's no they're not evil things. Right. But I know my choice of... Ignorance in some of it, in some of it, just plain selfishness, um, and just not understanding what what I was really allowing and choosing. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
it conjures up a lot of emotions and a lot of feelings. And mm-hmm. So I, I think it's important for you guys to all remember that when you hear us talking about this and you know, if you know us and you know where we're at at this point and you know that we very much lean on a, on a much more natural home birth, like this side of the spectrum side, I think it's important, A, that you understand that within that care, we are week by week in our own pregnancies deciding what things we feel need to be monitored. I check my own fundal height with a tape measure when I feel that something in my body has shifted to monitor that myself. I'm trying Mm -hmm. to figure out for myself what diet looks like, what exercise looks like in trying to manage things that might throw my pregnancies outside of the quote unquote normal ranges and what Mm -hmm. is normal for me that is not really a problem versus normal in the textbooks versus what is a problem. There's, we don't take these things lightly and we're not depending on, but I'm still receiving care from a midwife who I also trust and love. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I went to the hospital at 37 weeks with my last baby who ended up being a birth that only Abby and my husband were there for Mm -hmm. in my bedroom. And those don't feel like conflicting things to me Mm -hmm. that I went to go get monitored and receive information from the hospital and the doctors and had certain information come back differently than it did. I wouldn't have been beyond. I wrestled with on, on a somewhat daily basis at the end of that pregnancy, yes, whether I was making a good choice in mm-hmm. allowing my body to continue with where it was at or whether I should be going and being induced. So we're not saying that there's just this one right answer. We've, we've been through a lot of different types of births. It's, yes. We're not just... Well, this, this is all we've ever known, and then we think this is righteous, and we think this is right, and we think this is pure, and this is holy in any way. But we- and our point of bringing this up is also not to cause controversy, not to cause division, not to make other people feel bad about choices that they have made or are making. It's not, our hope is not any of, of causing a big divisive culture around it. Our reasons for wanting to bring these things up is because we don't feel like they are neutral and that we think that these things are really important to talk about and have conversations about and that it is okay for people to make different decisions. Right. And, but that ultimately we need to make sure that we're making decisions that aren't made out of fear and Mm -hmm. aren't made out of misinformation and that do acknowledge our worldview that God created our bodies and created them mm-hmm. to do things well and that there is a normal birth process that doesn't get acknowledged in a very full way by the mainstream approach of yes. birth at this point in, mm-hmm. in our country. And so it's just trying to figure out how we do that in a way that doesn't cause our goal isn't to cause hurt feelings our goal isn't to cause like if, if you guys understood then 
amount of conversations we have about this isn't in any way about our our way or we don't feel like we have a way like that we're advocating for one right one way of doing birth and that we are advocating for god's design of birth to Mm -hmm. be recognized and acknowledged while still first and and foremost yes while still acknowledging that the fall might be reasons to handle things outside of just letting the whole process take its course absolutely um but that's the problem is that the that it's just not really possible the majority of the time it's not impossible but the majority of the time it's not possible to let birth just play out normally in the settings that we've created mm-hmm. in, in right. like the hospital setting it and that's where hopefully we can break down more of the we touched that that's been something you guys can be praying about for us and and I don't know if you have any input but we have episodes like this where we touch on all these different random epidurals or pedosin or high blood pressure but it feels very chaotic and just like we're not going far into any of these ideas and concepts and talking and but about them. it also feels like so many of the different aspects really spiral into each other and mm-hmm. affect have kind of a snowball effect like you mentioned earlier and so it can be hard to pinpoint and just talk about know how to talk about one main thing and right um so we're not opposed to talking more about certain situations or I don't know if it would be helpful to make imaginary scenarios birth right like case studies and think through the different I mean that's one of the, one of the reasons we've been excited about our own pregnancies in this is because we do want to be vulnerable and real with different aspects of Mm -hmm. hard decisions we get faced with and have to work through and make. Um, But I'm sure there's going to be things that we don't have to face and aren't aren't having to deal with that are very real things that people deal with all the time that it's really just about getting all of us to start thinking through what are the actual problems? What are the actual risks? What are the actual benefits? And then prayerfully going before the Lord with your husband about those things and then being able to stand confidently in the decisions you make. Right. And and do it in a way that doesn't feel like I have to ha- hold any shame or guilt because I, I feel confident in this. So. Mm-hmm. And if you get to a point where you no longer feel confident in a decision you did feel confident in being able to acknowledge well that was the information I had then and that's how I thought about it then and I can if it's if you I mean there are things that I would say like I was mentioning that I feel that I made choices out of actually out of sinful desires and sinful Mm -hmm. motivations that I have had to repent before the Lord about Mm -hmm. and because of Christ 
those things are forgiven. Right. But there's other things that I don't feel I was being sinful in. I might have been misinformed in, and I might be regretful that that was the decision I made at that time or whatever. But in those cases, there's not, there wasn't underlying sin. Right. It was just, and then we can stand and say, praise God that he has allowed me to want want to do this in a different way or Mm -hmm. that he spared me from that decision that I made that I'm realizing may not have been the wisest or whatever the case may be. Or maybe it was exactly what I needed and I don't know that I needed that or I mean there's so many different options with that, you know. Yeah. So anyway, well is this officially our longest, longest one? It might be and it's our closest to midnight Saturday morning debut. Yep. So we made it through it. Abby somehow didn't fall asleep. And I didn't. I'm awake. You even were participating. I even contributed more than, uh-huh. <laughs> Barely. You did. <laughs> anyway, I hope that there's some part of this that may have encouraged someone out there. And I hope that not too many of you have taken too many things we said <laughs> wrongly because we really don't want to be causing problems but we love you all bye bye